Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on September 3rd, 2021 from James Island. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a lot. Yes, we're giving you some beef for your Labor Day weekend, folks. So just fire up that grill and uh, maybe you're in traffic. So if you're grilling and driving, uh, do not do that. It's not legal in this state, I don't think. Anyway, this episode, we break down the state Supreme Court ruling that found Columbia's mask mandate for schools illegal. HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge visited Columbia and was promoting vaccines. And we have a bunch of new research on vaccines to talk about as well in our medical section. Additionally, we want to hear your stories. Actually, I have a request for some specific stories, that is. Next Saturday's podcast falls on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And if you're willing to share your memory or story from that day, let us know. Leave us a message with your name, where you're calling from, at 803-563-7169. Maybe it's just the group trauma from that day that still lives in all of us who experienced it. But again, if you're willing to share a story, we are more than willing to listen at 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 10,781 total deaths, and currently there are 752,378 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of September 3rd at 4 p.m. Our seven-day case moving average is 5,333. Worldwide, there have been 4.5 million deaths from the virus more than 641,000 right here in America. Just uh, wanted to put that in perspective for everyone. Our percent positive is 12.6%. Currently, 2,339 people are hospitalized with COVID-19 in the state. 543 are in intensive care and 371 are on ventilators. All that data is up from last week, including a 15% jump for those on ventilators. Now we have some more data as well. Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security reports that the daily incidence rate continues to increase, but the trend is tapering off toward a peak or plateau. On August 27th, the U.S. surpassed 150,000 new cases per day, and the current average of 153,245 is the highest since January 28th. Daily mortality also continues to increase, and the mortality trend may be starting to taper off as well, though we are averaging around 1,064 deaths a day. And nationwide, vaccination rates have tapered at around 800,000 doses a day, with no marked increase in daily vaccinations since the US FDA issued full approval for the Pfizer vaccine. This according to Johns Hopkins. On Thursday, the South Carolina Supreme Court unanimously struck down the City of Columbia's mask mandate for schools that was in direct contradiction to a temporary law added to the state budget. The fun never ends here in South Carolina, folks. That proviso, which passed in June with all Republican support, states that no school district or any of its schools may use any funds appropriated or authorized pursuant to this act to require that its students and or employees wear a face mask at any of its education facilities. This prohibition extends to the announcement or enforcement of any such policy. Okay, so that was the proviso. Then in early August, the city of Columbia passed an ordinance mandating masks in all K-12 public schools within the city. Now on August 19th, Attorney General Alan Wilson said no bueno and filed suit saying that the ordinance was in violation. That's where we are now, folks. And surprise, he was right. 
Now, the court emphasizes that it was not ruling on the mask debate itself, so check that baggage somewhere else. So basically what they're saying here is don't hate the player, hate the game. I think, right? Does that work here? Writing the opinion, Justice John Kittredge said, quote, We fully recognize that strong and passionate opinions exist on both sides of this debate. Yet we must remind ourselves, the parties and the public, that as part of the judicial branch of government, we are not permitted to weigh in on the merits of the face mask debate. Rather, we are a court that is constitutionally bound by the rule of law, specifically separation of powers, to interpret and apply existing laws. We do not and cannot set public policy ourselves, quote. And I'm sure they're happy they can't. <laughs> now, the city tried to make the argument that the proviso violated the one subject rule for laws, which is that any law passed must pertain specifically to one topic, and in this case, the budget, which this law was attached to, and has to deal with specifically how money is spent. However, the court said the proviso has a legitimate and natural association with the title of the Appropriations Act, which is the budget, as it regulates the expenditure of appropriated funds by K-12 public schools. The proviso, therefore, does not violate the one-subject rule. I know, this is all really thrilling, but I want to give you guys the details so you know what's going on here. The city also tried to rule that it had authority under the Home Rule Act and its state of emergency powers to preserve the health of its citizens. But Home Rule doesn't give municipalities the license to usurp state law, the court said. So to put a little bow on this for you, here's some reaction. Columbia Mayor Steve Benjamin said it was a sad day for South Carolina's children and even sadder for those who are elected to protect them. Quote, the city of Columbia's stance is the same now as it was before we enacted our emergency ordinance requiring masks in our elementary and middle schools. We will always act to preserve and protect the lives, health, and safety of our children. Quote. Attorney General Alan Wilson said, quote, We appreciate the Supreme Court's quick ruling and its confirmation of our legal arguments. The court emphasized what we've been saying all along, that we are not arguing mask policy. We are arguing the rule of law. The court has confirmed that a city ordinance cannot conflict with state law. Now, we are still waiting the Supreme Court to rule on a suit by Richland County 2 School District about whether the proviso ban violates students' right to a free education as guaranteed by the state constitution. So stay tuned, folks. I'll do all that again. <laughs> now, keeping it in the Midlands, Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha Fudge was in the area this week promoting the use of vaccines and emergency rental assistance that is readily available to those who are behind on their rent due to the pandemic and meet other qualifications. Here's Secretary Fudge. I never thought in my life I'd be able to save somebody's life, especially with three words, get the vaccine get the shot, just three words. I can save thousands and thousands of people's lives just by saying, get the shot. I speak in schools an awful lot, and one of the things that I tell young people all the time is be leaders and not followers. And the people who are listening to what they see on Facebook or Twitter, they are followers. We need our young people to be leaders, to step out and say, I am going to step up and take care of my family of my grandparents and my parents and my friends. You know, we are at a particular risk because we are frontline workers. We are essential workers. We live in dense communities. We have to do everything we can because this disease has hit us harder than anyone else. It's just like everything else. They say when America gets a cold, black folk get pneumonia. We got pneumonia, y'all. Get your shot. According to the state newspaper, only a little more than $17 million has been distributed to the 39 counties that rely on the state to administer housing aid. That's $17 million out of some $271 million available. That's, that's a lot, folks. There's plenty of money out there. Fudge's visit also came days after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Biden administration's eviction moratorium 
a ruling that now jeopardizes hundreds of thousands of folks nationwide, and in South Carolina, which has one of the highest eviction rates in the country. Remember, Scott Morgan has had some great in-depth reporting on this topic you can find online, southcarolinapublicradio.org. Not getting through a show without mentioning Scott Morgan. From the Midlands to the Low Country, the mayor of one of the state's largest cities announced city employees will be required to get the vaccine. North Charleston Mayor Keith Sumi said this week in a video message that the city's more than 1,000 employees will be required to be vaccinated by November 5th. Here is part of that video. It is not easy for me to do something like this. But at the end of the day, my responsibility is try to maintain the health and well-being of my employees and to make sure that they are in a position to provide the services, whether it's police, fire, or any of the other services that we do provide in a safe manner for the people that we serve. I am not one of the people that like to create controls. But unlike anything that we've had before, this is a different time. It's no different to me than the vaccination that I had to have before I could go to school nearly 65 years ago. It is an opportunity for us to limit the damage. Sumi supported President Donald Trump, as did Governor Henry McMaster, who reiterated to reporters again on Thursday that the science is clear that vaccines are safe and effective and people should get them. But it is also their choice not to get vaccinated as well. This is what the governor said when asked his thoughts on the state having the highest per capita case rate in the country. The answer is vaccination. We know that there are very few people in the hospitals that have been vaccinated. We know that. The vaccinations work. But they're not getting vaccinated. Less than half of South Carolinians are well, vaccinated. We How do we get them we, vaccinated? Well, we, we need to talk to our friends. There's ample information available. People need to make their decision. They need to look. They need to talk to their neighbors, talk to their family, make their decision. Peggy and I have gotten vaccinated. We'll get the booster when that comes along. Our children got vaccinated. We know the vaccination works. If you look at the numbers, the people in trouble in the hospitals have not been vaccinated. And this is young people who are not in the hospital as well as, as old people who are. They've not been vaccinated, the vast, vast majority. So the best answer to this whole situation is vaccination. McMaster didn't say if teachers should be required to get the vaccine and said it's a strong legal question whether a vaccine mandate could be required. He did add this little interesting take. It's interesting that, that we have so many uh, people that have not taken advantage of the vaccination that are in positions to do so and may be in positions where it's spread. That presser was taking place on the side of the highway. Could you tell? It followed an announcement with the governor and SC Department of Transportation Secretary Christy Hall requesting the General Assembly designate $360 million in American Rescue Plan dollars to help expedite the widening of portions of Interstate 26 between Columbia and Charleston. Using the money would advance the much-needed project by nearly a decade. And Secretary Hall, who worked the legislature for years to get the gas tax passed in 2017, well, she's not one to mince her words and said she's optimistic this will happen. We'll have more on that story next week after the governor announces his plans for the rest of the money, talking the rest of those billions of dollars in federal aid coming to the state.
we have a quick business section for you because we have a lot of medical news. I'm not making that up, folks. You should see me trying to fit it all in here. It's, it's a lot. Mm, maybe you don't want to see the process. It's actually quite horrifying. Sticking with business, though, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index fell by 13.4% from July, recording the least favorable economic prospects in more than a decade. Mm. The sentiment index has only recorded larger losses in six other monthly surveys since 1978. The losses were especially large in the Expectations Index and widespread across all demographic groups, regions, and the outlook for the economy. So not good all around. Yeah, not great. They found that consumers' extreme reactions were due to the surging Delta variant, higher inflation, slower wage growth, and smaller declines in unemployment. The extraordinary fall-off in sentiment also reflects an emotional response from dashed hopes that the pandemic would soon end and lives could return to normal. Right there with you. Now, researchers say that the August collapse of confidence does not imply an imminent downturn in the economy. But consider this. The impact of 9-11 was another non-economic event that had an immediate impact on consumers' expectations and emotions. Although economic expectations began to improve by year-end, the emotional impact on spending patterns lasted for a much longer time. And that same type of persistent impact on spending patterns is now likely to reoccur. Well, let's end business on a positive note, Ja. Hmm? The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, says the United States is the only major seven economy that has already returned to pre-pandemic levels in the second quarter of 2021, with GDP exceeding the pre-pandemic level by 0.8%. The major economies are Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the UK. Together, the GDP of the entire group of all 37 OECD countries remains below pre-pandemic levels, however, despite increasing growth in the second quarter of the year. Okay, okay. South Carolina's number one. No, I am not. I'm definitely not talking about football unless you're a Clemson fan, I guess. Are they ranked number one? No, they're not. No one's number one here, okay? But I will tell you what we are number one at. We're, uh, we're number one for per capita cases in the country. Yes, that's not, not good news, folks. That's not good news. I've been having a lot of, a lot of bad news, including 86 deaths reported on Wednesday alone. It's a level we haven't seen since February. Okay, so we're going to talk about something uh, I didn't think we'd ever have to talk about on this podcast. The horse pills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ivermectin. Actually, a better name than Comirnaty. I'm just going to go and put that on the record. But let me see if I have this logic correct. People want a drug, Ivermectin, an FDA-approved antiparasitic drug that is used to treat several certain tropical diseases like river blindness, worms, scabies, and even head lice. Do you have any of those conditions? If no, skip ahead. If yes, see your doctor while you're listening to a podcast. If you say no, but, then keep listening. Ivermectin is a drug that the National Institutes of Health COVID-19 Treatment Guidelines panel said there was insufficient evidence to recommend either for or against the use of it for the treatment of COVID-19. The FDA says ditto. On the NIH webpage for the drug, the health agency states Ivermectin has been shown to inhibit the replication of SARS-CoV-2 in cell cultures. However, Pharmacokinetic, 
also strangely my favorite word, in pharmacodynamic studies suggest that achieving the plasma concentrations necessary for the antiviral efficacy detected in vitro would require administration of doses up to a hundredfold higher than those approved for use in humans, which I guess is why people are buying the equine approved version and poisoning themselves. <laughs> now the lead, horse girls, and actual medical professionals like the FDA say, please, please no, you are not a horse. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have the Pfizer vaccine that has been thoroughly researched, vetted, tested, and has received full authorization from federal health authorities. And it's also free, it's free. Get it. And two other vaccines are under emergency use authorization. They're also safe and proven effective at preventing cases, severe illness, and death. Hundreds of millions of Americans, including myself, are living proof of their effectiveness. I have a pharmacist friend who is actually filling ivermectin prescriptions every day from folks who believe that this is a cure when we know that some of the best treatments after exposure is monoclonal antibody treatments. In fact, DHEC's Dr. Jonathan Kanaka, a medical consultant, even addressed the drug during the weekly DHEC media call on Wednesday. So ivermectin is not authorized or approved by FDA for prevention or treatment of COVID-19. And the National Institute of Health, they have a, a guideline panel, their COVID-19 treatment guidelines panel, has also determined that there are currently insufficient data to recommend ivermectin for treatment of COVID-19. And while research is underway, taking a drug for an unapproved use can be dangerous. Right now, ivermectin is approved for use in humans at very specific doses, mainly for some parasitic worm infections, but it's not for treating COVID-19. And ingesting large doses of this drug has occurred with people taking highly concentrated animal ivermectin medications can be dangerous and cause serious harm. The safest and most effective way to protect yourself from COVID-19 is to get fully vaccinated as soon as possible. Kanaka also gave insight on what things are looking like data-wise in the state and what the agency is doing amid a surge in demand for testing. We're talking like 46,000 tests are being done daily in the state, folks. It's tricky to get one unless there is a DHEC site near you. Here's Kanaka. Yes, we are working with um, DHEC regional staff and community partners to establish additional testing sites in areas with high demand or minimal access to free COVID-19 testing. Since August 21st, the 11 to 20 age group has recorded the highest number of new cases in South Carolina. The second highest group are those ages zero to 10. Now, if you go back to earlier this summer for the week of June 12th to the 19th, the 11 to 20 year old age group accounted for 173 cases statewide. This past week, in comparison, that group accounted for 7,713 cases. And while the 11 to 20 year olds accounted for the highest number of new cases, the highest percentage rise in new cases was in the zero to 10 age group, a group that unfortunately is not eligible for vaccine and therefore very vulnerable to infection. I'd also like to share details from a report this week from South Carolina Children's Hospital Collaborative. That's a group that includes Prisma Health's Children's Hospital in the upstate, McLeod Child's uh, Children's Hospital, NUSC, Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital, and Prisma Health Children's Hospital in the Midlands. Their August 30th report shows that of the 35 kids who were to be uh, hospitalized from complications of COVID, 97% were unvaccinated. Haha, <laughs> if you thought that was a lot, I got more for you folks. At a meeting on August 30th, the US CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, 
expressed initial support for third doses of SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccines for vulnerable populations, such as long-term care facility residents and healthcare workers, but said there is not enough data yet to recommend so-called booster shots for the general population since vaccine prevention remains high. In fact, NPR reported on Friday that leaders from both the CDC and FDA told White House COVID advisors that there is not enough data right now to make a blanket recommendation on boosters and that it may be prudent to start boosters with older adults first, pending FDA authorization. This according to a source who has knowledge of the situation but is not authorized to speak publicly. Currently, boosters are only available for immunocompromised individuals. Now I got some more medical research for you here. A study published August 27th in the Lancet Infectious Diseases adds evidence to what many experts already suspected. People infected with the highly contagious SARS-CoV-2 Delta variant are twice as likely to be hospitalized as those infected with the Alpha variant. Now, this is research from Public Health England and Cambridge University on more than 40,000 sequencing-confirmed COVID-19 cases between March 29th and May 23rd of this year, during which time the Delta variant was becoming the predominant strain in the UK. The majority of the cases were among unvaccinated individuals, while 2% were fully vaccinated. And now if someone says, hey, bro, don't vax me, I'll take my chances with the Delta strain, say, well, the benefits still far outweigh the risk when it comes to getting vaccinated, including the risks of long COVID. That's what another UK study found that was also just published in The Lancet. Stat News reports that the research is among the earliest evidence that immunization substantially reduces the risk of long COVID, even when a breakthrough infection occurs. Already, researchers had said that by preventing many infections entirely, vaccines would reduce the number of cases of long COVID, but it wasn't clear what the risk would be for people who still got infected after vaccination. Now, there are some caveats. The study ended just as the UK's spike in Delta-driven cases began, and this was based on people's own reports by smartphone. And to wrap it all up, we got some big news this week that the Moderna vaccine creates twice as many antibodies as Pfizer's, according to new research published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. Now, this doesn't mean that there was a difference in effectiveness over time. In fact, Emory University biostatistician David Benkiser said that would include a host of assumptions. He told Bloomberg News, I would urge caution in making the conclusion that because Moderna demonstrated a slightly higher peak on average, that its efficacy will be slower to wane. I promise that's it, guys. We're in the wind down now. All right, a lot of information there, but we are in the wind down section now. You know what it is. It's our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic, and we want to hear your stories as well. Like I said at the top, if you're willing to share, please give us a call and share a memory or a story from 9-11. Like I said, the 20-year anniversary is coming up this Saturday, and we'll have a podcast where we want to share some memories uh, because it was a very difficult day and something we all hate looking forward to every year. I can say that. 803-563-7169. Let us know. And uh, that being said, AT, what's going on, buddy? I'm coming to well, you. We got do, we, no do we got a pot with no call? No calls. Bone dry hopper. Yikes. I mean, yeah, it's desiccated in there, man. It's not good. It's mm. not good. No. Uh, it's not good. You well, know, I, so, I mean. I guess it's a little okay because I kind of rambled for a whole podcast, but. Yeah, that was long. Let's keep this short. Uh, <laughs> what you got going on, Gavin? What, what, do you, what are you uh, doing this week? Labor Day down here with the parents mm-hmm. in James Island. I got some uh, family visiting from Richmond. So I haven't Very seen them cool. in a few years because of the pandemic, so it's good to see some familiar faces. My mm-hmm. uh, my cousin Katie, she's a assistant district attorney in Richmond, and she's uh, on the lam right now, but I can't get any farther into it. Mm, good but, to hear. Yeah, I know. So you're, a you're aiding and abetting, yeah, yes? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, no, good. it was just. I'm um, glad we got this on the record. There was she's she's um, <laughs> the lead prosecutor on a murder case, and the defense attorney wanted her to share the name of one of their informants. On this, no way. And uh, she's like, no, not doing that right now. We have a year to case. I don't want to have a dead witness. <laughs> so Yeah, totally. And then the I've judge, seen The Wire, the okay? Judge, uh, you can't do that. The judge, who was, I think, a former defense attorney himself, uh, said that she had to comply with the order. She said no, no one in her, and no one in her department said that she should. And so she was uh, briefly incarcerated for a few hours. Apparently, it's never happened before in their department, but it was quite the hubbub. High so. intrigue. Love to hear it. Yeah, we have our own little, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Law and Order episodes every time the family gets together. <laughs> this is this is just like a Michael Crichton book, I feel like. Yeah, right? but you can't fast forward and you can't rewind, you know? It's, mm. it's here and now, baby. It's real mm. life. Mm. I hate that it's about definitely this. not like a Michael Crichton book. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote The Firm? Oh, the, wrote firm. the Firm. Okay, I haven't read The Firm. I guess I was thinking of, like, Prey. <laughs> Did he write that? John Grisham. John Grisham. Same guy. Yeah. I'm thinking John Grisham, thinking, and that's on me. That's my problem. Well, you're thinking of all those thriller novels. But yeah, so that's what's going on here. We're hanging out. It's so nice out with this weather. We've got to yeah, wrap this up so we go outside. We've got to wrap this up so we're going to play outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what's going on with you? <laughs> oh, I got my first wedding this weekend since the pandemic started. Thankfully, we're, even though we're in South Carolina, it looks like the weather is going to be really nice. Yeah. And it's going to be an indoor-outdoor wedding. I also know a ton of people that are going, and I trust them to not be uh, fooling around, and I mm-hmm. trust that they're vaxxed. So yeah. while I am incredibly stressed and sweating about it every time <laughs> I think about it, um, uh, I, I I think I'm going to get through unscathed yeah. because basically I'm going to stand outside the whole time. Yeah, but that's, anyway, that's uh, the move. But yeah, I mean, I'll, like I will say, I just mentioned in our medical section about testing, if you didn't flip through all of it. Appreciate that. But it is very <laughs> difficult to get a test these days, folks. I mean, like I'm looking on through yeah. CVS website, Walgreens, they're all booked up. Uh, DHEC, public health centers, those are pretty much your go-to places if you're trying to get a test. Uh, they're pretty quick, too. They're getting better, but still. I hadn't been... I saw you. You, you, yeah. were, you were just had someone digging for gold up your nose, right? Yeah. Uh, it was not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of forgot that. I mean, when you, you know, you do it yourself. I'm so used to doing it myself, but this time I was like, yeah. someone else is just poking around they, I mean they go straight in I've had it both ways too and it's tough when they just shove it all the way to your brain yeah, really not um, happy that we're hurts. going through all this again but um, I'm excited for uh, the Gamecock season to start the Gamecocks yes. I think uh, we're gonna win this one. Oh yeah <laughs> okay I, I'm pretty excited to see this Georgia uh, this Georgia Clemson, Clemson game yeah. Towner I need your dogs to win this game for me come on bud <laughs> got a lot of got a lot of cheddar writing here <laughs> yeah if I disappear after for next week's episode that's why Bye, baby <laughs> <laughs> well again uh thanks for listening folks let us know what you're doing how your labor day was let us know 803-563-7169 you can also leave us a review on itunes we love those and you can stay up to date with the latest news on scetv.org and southcarolinapublicradio.org and don't forget to support your local newspapers for the south carolina lead i'm gavin jackson be well south carolina Oh, no, I just need to go to the bathroom with my sponge here.